Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome to this segment on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we have a very special guest Gary Slaywick, who is with Beeler of America, he is the manager of apprenticeship and training. We're very excited to have Gary on the show. This is an area that is absolutely needed both in corporate America and in schools. I remember when I went to school in the 7th and 8th grade, I was in a a wood shop class. I loved it. They don't have them anymore. They took the VoTech courses out of schools. A mistake they're now correcting, but Gary, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're excited about this segment. Oh, it's great. Thank you for having me. By the, by the way, Gary, I just want to clarify for a moment with Tim. Was that an old schoolhouse that you were in, Tim, or was that a real school? <laughs> it was a one-room schoolhouse in, no. Wisconsin, in the middle of cheese country. <laughs> That's right, in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. <laughs> right, right. Okay, uh, Gary, uh, you're you're a manager of the uh, training program uh, at uh, your company. Uh, why don't you give us a little background as to how you uh, got involved in manufacturing yourself in regards to tool making and precision machining and so on? Well, it was a family business that my father had, and uh, my brother and I grew up, um, you know, standing on a milk crate, uh, pulling handles on a turret lathe, and cleaning, sweeping chips, and doing whatever. And I, so I grew up in the trade, and um, and I went through a few shops uh, in the early years, including you know, working for him. And uh, I had an opportunity to uh, teach in the local vocational school. I had spent uh, some years with an aerospace company, and. Uh, you know, getting in a little bit of a rut. So uh, a, a lo- a opening at a local vocational school opened up, and they were looking for a machine shop teacher. Uh, I applied. I got the job, and I uh, started going to college because in order to teach, uh, you you need to have a, a degree. But most tradespeople are, are, you know, high school graduates with years of trade experience and no college degree. So uh, simultaneously, uh, you earn your degree while you are working. And, um, and once I got involved in the trade, I, I you know, it was a realization that um, uh, some people had spent you know, had been very patient with me and had spent quite a bit of time putting up with my shortcomings uh, during my training period in my earlier years, and this was a chance for me to give back to the trade. Uh, the um, You know, in the late 70s, early 80s, manufacturing was still doing okay. It was a bit of a decline. A lot of offshoring began at that time period, late 70s, and um, we uh, and the school, um, you know, had – Pretty nice equipment. No, no CNC at the time. Late 70s, even though CNC was out in, in some industries, it was not in the schools yet. Uh, but I, over the next uh, 25 years, built the program into a world-class program. We had CNC, 3D modeling, CAD CAM. Uh, the students still all learned how to grind a tool bit and use a manual lathe and a milling machine and, and do bench work. But uh, the onus was on, uh, the uh, the emphasis was on trying to train them into the modern technology that most of the jobs, uh, you know, here in the 21st century are looking for. And, uh, and so at this point, that program is uh, very strong. It's uh, low enrolled, as many vocational machining programs are, 
the uh, the fun programs like auto mechanics and things are, are jam-packed with hundreds of students and uh, manufacturing of which we need many people uh, is is going begging for for students because students don't and one of the reasons I'm here on the air with you guys is because students don't understand parents of, of, of these students do not understand the opportunities the uh, the pathway in which they would have to follow in order to be successful in a manufacturing career which could end anywhere, you know, in college, it could end as, uh, you know, in superv supervisory positions at, at these companies. But it all starts cranking handles and getting dirty in the shop and learning the basics of the trade. And uh, for that, we are having trouble recruiting young people uh, who want to get into this. So um, I spent those years there and uh, struggled, you know, some years with enrollment. Uh, I was cut to half time uh, twice in my uh, years there. Uh, because of low enrollment, uh, I got the program back up, and it would it would drift off again. And so now I uh, retired from there in order to take a job on the other side of the table uh, in the apprenticeship program at a local company who was um, anxious to uh, develop their youth and talent, and they had an aging workforce who is you know um, who are retiring as we speak. So uh, they they realized it's almost too little, too late, uh, but they were. They, they, committed to doing this. They uh, put a lot of money forward to make it happen. So I brought my educational experience and my toolmaking experience here in an effort to try to help Beeler build their workforce back up to what it was in previous years. And at the same time, uh, as I said, I'm on the other side of the table. So now as an employer who is looking for talented work, I go out to all of the schools and encourage them to you know, build up their programs, um, you know, buy the modern equipment that the students need to train on in order to be successful, and also reaching out to local uh, school, middle schools, especially the parents and students of middle school students, uh, of, of, uh, of middle schoolers, uh, is was my target audience, uh, and to try to get the young people excited about manufacturing, and they see the technology and the things that can happen. So currently here at Beeler we have um, – seven apprentices, um, uh, six of them are full-time. One is, is not in the apprenticeship program yet. He came in late after the registration, and he's going to apply in the spring when we rotate through. Uh, we've been through about, I want to say, 12 to 15 students over the last three years. Uh, it'll, this will be my fourth year coming up in February. So uh, it took me a year to get the program uh, registered with the Department of Labor and get all my paperwork in order. It, uh, and, of course, I've rotated through. We've had some attrition students leaving for one reason or another. And uh, now we've settled in. We've got a pretty good group. And uh, we have one graduate who just back in June was our first completer who got his uh, apprenticeship certificate from the state and is now a full-time um, journeyman working his way up through the company and in other departments. So uh, it was it was really the um, you know the the years I spent in public education that uh, motivated me to want to try to do more because uh, as a as a school teacher I I just didn't have the leverage to reach out to companies and to other and to people and 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 recruit students the way I am now because the company gives me the freedom to do as I'm doing now st talking to you guys on the radio or going out to local schools and doing career fairs and uh different uh, um uh, activities uh, open houses and things like that where I can uh, talk to parents and students and show them what we do and try to explain to them uh, and maybe try to you know, light a fire into the hearts of some of the, these young people. 
And, uh, and that's that's pretty much it. Here we are. Gary, uh, you're you're the poster boy for what Tim and I have been doing the last four years on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You've just about touched on every topic one way or another on things that we have witnessed, discussed, interviewed, preached, going to certain events uh, with uh, NJIT, NJMEP, uh, NAM, uh, and, and so on, all the rest of the alphabet associations. Uh, as I as I remember, you have about 200 employees now, and um, all of the things that you mentioned about skill gap and people retiring and so on. This is a, a this is the major problem. There's no one single problem in regards to manufacturing. It's so multifaceted. Uh, one of the things that Tim and I are doing on uh, November 8th, we are starting a new show called Wham, Women and Manufacturing. And we, see, and we have seven hosts that are going to be running the shows and talking with uh, women who have reached certain levels of uh, success and uh, stature within their organizations. And just like in the days of the Second World War with Rosie the Riveter, uh, I'm not sure if it was 3 million or 4 million women who went to work uh, during the war years. And the United States really required this to happen because everybody was off uh, killing Germans and Japanese. So the point is that they are a resource that is being underutilized, uh, but getting there. It's beginning to really uh, take hold. But everything that you talked about, and uh, Tim, you can jump in anywhere along the line, but everything you talked about is what's going on in the country. Shop is beginning to come back into schools. Um, manufacturers are beginning to pay uh, for tuition for their interns to go to school and get their uh, usually a national certification that they can take with them wherever they want. Uh, I tip my hat to your company for doing the exact thing that you need to do because their people aren't out there. The skills gap aren't out there. The skills aren't out there. Uh, and then there's the drug problem that exists uh, nationwide. And uh, matter of fact, we had an interview with a company out in uh, Ohio somewhere. She went to interview the president of the company, a woman, who went to interview 10 applicants. And not only didn't they have the skills, but eight of them couldn't pass the drug test. So this is a huge problem. I don't know if you're experiencing that within your own uh environment but uh um, it, this is uh you're, you're doing all the right things yeah there's uh there's all those issues here we have uh, currently there's about I'm not, i don't have an exact count i think there's 25 tool and die makers work for this company most of these gentlemen are in their late 50s and early 60s uh one one of the veterans just retired here uh, you know a few weeks ago uh mm-hmm. and others are are you know ready to put in their notice uh, and it's too little too late. They have a lifetime of skills that uh, they would like to pass on to some young person, but, you know, there's just not enough time. Uh, there are some middle-aged to uh, younger middle-aged toolmakers, so it's not like they're, 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 these boys are going to be destitute once the old-timers retire. It's, uh, but, again, they, these people leave, and they take their, their bits of knowledge with them, and every little bit 
uh, helps. I, I tell these my apprentices all the time that if, if they can get the best out of each one of these guys, uh, they'll be one heck of a toolmaker someday. And uh, and that takes time to get that uh, out. And, um, you know, so we're using our time as quickly as possible. The company is very supportive, uh, you know, financially. As a matter of fact, we just uh, – we were at our busiest – this company is the busiest it's been in its history at this current time, which is a good thing. Uh, but we are shorthanded. Even with all these people, we still can't get all the work done. Um, and so we've been using the boys to help us. But one of the uh, components of our apprenticeship program is a, uh, a notebook full of tools, grinding fixtures, uh, like little Schmidt vices and parallels and one, two, three blocks and and handy-dandy little tools that they can use on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. the company is paying for the material. They uh, pay the students, uh, the apprentices, to make these parts. Uh, we send them out, get them heat-treated, uh, bring them back. They grind them all in. Uh, we have a couple of brand-new, you know, they can hold a tenth easily on, on all of these and get squareness and parallelism and the accuracy uh, that's as good or better than anything you can buy out of the catalog. Uh, they had the the uh, pleasure and experience of making it themselves, and now mm-hmm. they're going to be using these. So this is just one of the little things the company has done. And uh, since we were doing so much work for Beeler, the boys weren't getting their projects done. So the company decided, okay, look, half a day they come in and they must work on their personal projects, you know, on on the clock. And then the second half of the day they can work on the on the work for the company for Beeler work. Uh, and we'll just find a way, and they and they basically didn't have a plan for how the work was going to get done, but they didn't want to do it at the expense of the apprentices losing their experience and not getting their tools done. So sure. that was that's a that's a uh, just a hint as to how dedicated they really are, because this is going to cost them more money to do this, and it's going to put us under the gun even more because we're we still are shorthanded and uh, all in an effort to try to help the the apprentices uh, stay on track and get all their work done in the four in the eight thousand hours or four years that they have to do it. So uh, that and many other things. Uh, you mentioned college tuition uh, that we're paying for. Uh, matter of fact, all of them are currently enrolled right now at a local community college. Depending on where they live, we try to keep them in county so that uh, you know the tuition is a little cheaper and it's less driving for them because they work their regular hours, and then uh, they go to most classes are in the evening, you know, three to six or something like that, and they go after work they go to class. For the, and uh, we're about, what about halfway through the semester now, coming up on it. Um, and if uh, another another thing the company is is trying to do, uh, not trying, they are doing it. If the class that they need falls during the workday, um, the company is paying the student to go to school, so they they don't punch out. They stay punched in until the end of their normal day, and uh, so they drive to class and they sit in class and they're being on they're on the clock for that. And the, the company's paying each apprentice up to eight hours a week um, to do that, um, you know, to go to class. Besides it's, paying uh, for the tuition, tuition and the books, and uh, and you know we've had a few drop out, and you know, and I had, you know, we had mentioned that maybe they should do a reimbursement plan where the the apprentices would have to pay up front, and then when they finish the class and turn in their transcripts and everything, we would reimburse them. But the company doesn't want to do that. We're paying all this up front. Um, you know, new apprentices, they've been here, uh, they've spent, well, some of them came out of high school vocational programs, so they've been here a year on an internship, a paid internship and a, a, a co-op, a, a, 
uh, a cooperative education uh, plan where they spend a half a day in school and the other half a day here working. So they've, they've actually been here a year, but they've only been full-time employees since June. So, um, and yet the company still, you know, puts their 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 best foot out there and pays for all of this with the hopes that the young people appreciate what's being done and work, you know, harder in order to sure. um, to achieve whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. One of the things that uh, Tim and I have uh, heard from quite a few companies now uh, throughout the country that have the similar situation with uh, going back to your your original comment about uh, people that are turning in their notice and going to retire and so on. What a couple of companies that we know of have done, they put it out to their employee, the older employees, suggesting that uh, if and when you're ready to retire, think about staying on for X period of time, whether it's six months or a year, and they will work directly with the internship, with the interns, and mm-hmm. at a bonus rate for however long they uh, want to stay further on and actually work one-on-one with these interns. And some of these uh, uh, retirees or potential retirees have stuck around for a year, uh, you know, to get that extra, quote-unquote, retirement bonus. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, thought about that or you have any intentions of doing that, but that seems to have a major impact and delays the inevitable. Yes, it's an excellent idea, and I could see that that working because uh, no one knows the rudiments of the plant better than the the people who have been working there most of their careers. And and they are in in an excellent position to share that knowledge with whomever is willing to listen. So, uh, yeah, it's something I'm sure I I could bring up. I'm sure they would go for it. Uh, You know, any any good idea. We're we're working on a summer camp program for next year where we're going to invite young people from the local schools to come here one day a week during the summer for a kind of a what's cool about manufacturing, similar to the video program that's going on, uh, you know, in many states uh, for the Dream It Do It Foundation uh, to have like a hands-on project-based information sessions and invite parents to come along and see what's going on and bring them in and, you know, provide lunch and uh, and activities and uh, interactive um, things to do that are related to manufacturing, uh, so that they can get a feel for what's what it's about and and what a career in this field might look like or feel like. You know, this is uh, something that Tim and I also have experienced, and that is a big problem are the the, the parents uh, that they they don't get it, they don't understand that manufacturing isn't a transitional evolutionary uh, change uh, 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 event going on in in our country. And we went to, and I I think you probably are aware of this, several months ago there was a Maker's Day uh, held at a library. I think maybe you and I may have met there. I'm not sure. Uh, We met at uh, NJIT at the Apprenticeship Summit. Um, right, right, right. I, I did correct. not attend the uh, li- the manuf- uh, Maker's Day at the library, but I did see your your piece on the internet about it. Ah, thank you. Um, I assumed you enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, it was it was good. It was well done. Uh, good interviews. Um, you know, Mr. Vicari and other familiar faces were there. You know, right, uh, right, carrying carrying the torch. 
This this Maker's Day event was held at 300 libraries in the state of New Jersey, and uh, they had uh, kids set up uh, tables to uh, either demonstrate or show off their projects that they put together. And uh, there were about 10 uh, students or group of students that worked on various projects. And we were wrapping it up. Uh, We had done all our interviews and so on, and and a mother and father came over to me. And they said, I, I, we see you're leaving now. You know, my, my son, you, you didn't interview him. Uh, he'll be heartbroken if he, if he doesn't get interviewed. So can you talk to him before you shut down? So we went over there. And it, tur- it turned out that uh, he did an art form made out of old uh, farm equipment, tractors and so on. And he made a rusty metal sculpture with light bulbs and the arm moved and so on and so forth. And we interviewed him and he was young. He was about 10, 11 years old. And uh, he was just so excited and he, he was really very professional. He gave a real adult handshake and lo and behold, he won the most creative award, uh, the creative uh, uh, project award. And, uh, you know, it's great talking to these kids. They get all excited and wound up. And that's what, that's what everybody needs to be doing in order to uh, accomplish the goals of bolstering up manufacturing. Yes, yes. Yeah, you Unfortunately, had said earlier, and it was, it's so true, that there are, there's no one particular reason why things are the way they are. It is a culmination of many uh, issues, um, and one of them being, you know, parents' lack of understanding about what the trade is like. I think the perception is the old smokestack industry, that it's dirty, it's dangerous, it's, um, you, know, um, um, you know, it's gone, and there, nobody's doing it anymore. And, of course, we know, uh, and, and, and I'm hoping that someday they know that uh, that's not the case. I mean, it is, you know, most shops that I've ever been in are all well-lit, air-conditioned. They're fantastic and clean environments. Sure. Uh, the, uh, the work is, I mean, you could wear nice clothes. I mean, I, I don't wear jeans and a T-shirt where I wear, I wear dress shirts to work. And uh, although I'm operating machine tools on a daily basis, you know, I come home as pretty much as clean as I went to work, maybe some dirty hands and a couple of cuts. But, <laughs> but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm intact. And, uh, you know, and so it's awareness to, to parents to, to realize that uh, this is really, I call it a blue-collar degree. They have an opportunity to learn a trade, first of all, learn how to work with their hands, uh, learn uh, the work ethic that is required in, in the industry. There is... Um, an expectation by most employers, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a, an employer that doesn't agree with uh, the fact that they need people that, that are punctual, that, that come to work prepared, uh, that, that come to work uh, at least willing to learn and willing to, uh, to participate in whatever it takes to get the product that they're making uh, done with, in, with the proper quality and on time and delivered to their customer. And, and that mindset of quality and punctuality is something that some young people don't have yet, and they have to grow into it. And, of course, they're, they're going to get those, those traits from their parents. Uh, they're going to learn how to work and how to be respectful and how to, uh, to basically sacrifice. You know, some days, you know, I wanted to stay home and, 
and uh, do something, but uh, the boss needs me today, so I, I get in the car and I go to work, you know, not sometimes because I want to, but because I have to. Uh, I have bills to pay, I have uh, responsibilities, and uh, my employer uh, is counting on me. And so I, I, I work on trying to get those traits across to young people and to parents so that's the kind of nurturing that they need at that age so that they can appreciate this young fellow that you had you know he's going to be successful you know in spite of our worst efforts and he's going to go out and be but there are many young people out there that don't have that kind of drive and that kind of motivation or someone behind them encouraging them to try harder and work harder and, um, you know, uh, you talk about the drug problem and the other dis- distracting problems. Uh, uh, and all of these issues together um, uh, have contributed to the lack of awareness, uh, to a, a general sense that, well, somebody makes it. I'd go to Walmart and buy what I need. I don't need to, to make anything. And in our country here, you know, uh, we, we are in our history, if you if you do some research on from the Industrial Revolution forward to probably post-World War II America, uh, we were the world standard for manufacturing anything, no matter what it was, as far as Correct. the quality, the, the um, you know, everything. Uh, and that, is, of course, has slipped. Uh, right now, uh, many things with automation and technology can be made anywhere. You don't necessarily need skilled labor at every level of manufacturing, but you certainly, in the engineering and the design and the building and manufacture of tooling and um, components, you need talented people. And, um, you know, they, they say robots are going to take away our jobs, but I say that robots just give us different jobs. So instead of sitting there loading millions of widgets onto a conveyor belt, uh, you're programming the robot. You are repairing or making new end effectors and uh, parts for the, the system to keep running, uh, coming up with and planning the next system, you know, and when, when the next job comes along, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? So I don't think replacing people is, in, in my realm of understanding, I, I, it may replace some of the mundane jobs that, that people don't want to do, but um, I, I don't see it replacing the highly skilled and technical jobs that we need to to uh, to build this system of automation and, and uh, automatic things. Uh, while I'm on the subject, I wanted to also mention that here in, in the state of New Jersey, at least, uh, you know, many manufacturing uh, programs have been dropped out of the schools, as we said earlier, and uh, and they went for more, uh, shall I say, feel-good type programs. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be critical, but here in my local community, you know, the community college uh, uh, decided to, uh, or the vocational high school, I'm sorry, decided to get rid of the manufacturing program, the machining program, and they put in a 25 million dollar performing arts center uh, because all the kids want to be the next American Idol. But uh, unfortunately, there's no jobs around here to do that. And yet, and then the hundreds of manufacturing companies here in the county, uh, you know. Don't, go begging for for people so uh and i think parents are just happy that the, their kids are going to school and they're happy to be there and they're getting good grades i don't think they realize that some of the programs that they're taking may not be suitable for training uh in advanced manufacturing or engineering or you know any uh, any skilled trade for that matter whether you're a finished carpenter or a stonemason or a, a plumber an hvac technician these are all these skills require 
you know, technical capability, uh, manual dexterity, uh, math, um, you, know, all, you know, work ethic, all of these things that we try to teach our children in school are the kind of skills that uh, these young people need to survive in these jobs. Uh, but on the bright side, uh, in here in New Jersey, there are also many good programs that provide state-of-the-art technology. And I can think off the top of my head, Passaic County Votech comes to mind, um, one of the one of the better vocational high schools in the state of New Jersey when it comes to advanced manufacturing. Uh, RVCC has just put built a beautiful. Um, uh, advanced Manufacturing Program, uh, Raritan Valley Community College. Uh, I know that used to be called uh, Somerset County Votech, uh, and many of my colleagues who are in their 50s and 60s right now were students there back in the 70s, and, and, and they had one of the premier tool and die programs in the state there at Somerset County Votech. Uh, that is now that was gone for many many years, and now they brought it back, to, uh, uh, and then some with CNC and automation, and you know the manual skills and the pre-engineering classes. Uh, matter of fact, we're attending a uh, an event there later this week. Uh, I think it's Thursday. We're going there to uh, to uh, you know see what they've done and uh, you know recruit students and you know graduates and things like that. Uh, other programs in the state of New Jersey, the Hohokus School of Trades, uh, Lincoln Tech up in Mawa, uh, got into um, got in with Haas, and now it is a state of the art. I mean, they have some five axis support, five axis stuff up there, and. Uh, it's a beautiful program, and for many years, you know, Lincoln Tech was mostly CAD and automotive and electronics. They didn't offer machining and manufacturing, but they've uh, broken the mold with this uh, with this program in Mawa. It's it's a little north for for some, but it's a beautiful program. Um, you know, you you had mentioned you mentioned Gary that um, uh, there are many programs, and this this is true, everything you said, that these programs are popping up all over the country, but there is mm-hmm. one particular program that Tim and I ran across that I, I think is one of the most ridiculous, absurd pro- programs that exist, and I don't remember the number. I know Tim will remember, so I'm putting you on the spot, Tim. How many universities <laughs> in the United States have movie reviewing as a program? Do you yes, remember? Uh, movie, movie critic uh, uh, degrees, actually f- film critic degrees, 748. <laughs> and supply chain degrees was something like 116. Uh, and there's probably room for about 16 film critics in wow. the world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yes, yes, it's... Uh, yeah. Gary, let me uh, ask training you. training for non-existent jobs. Right. Yes. What about yeah. uh, your programs? Is it open and available for young women to get involved? Oh, absolutely. We have tried to. I've tried to recruit a couple of young ladies from some local uh, schools, uh, but uh, there's been you know different things. Uh, the one one person uh, changed their mind uh, when it came time to do the internship. Uh, she had decided to stay in you know, school and go to college and get into another field. Um, and others, it was a transportation issue. The, the girl lived pretty far away, and the parent uh, was a single parent with one car, and, they, of course, they needed it for their work. And uh, so the, the – and she ended up – I, uh, I want to say – I want if she ended up up at Rochester at RIT, someplace like that, she ended up in a really great place because she was – 
Um, you know, I think there's, uh, as a non-traditional trade for women, uh, there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's grants and funding available uh, for for organizations that hire uh, non-traditional students uh, into their programs. And uh, it's a great way for a young lady to get, you mentioned girls earlier, and I wanted to say that, um, you know, in this modern era with technology and CAD CAM CNC, uh, you know, perhaps in the days of the smokestack industries and Bethlehem Steel uh, was booming in the in the 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, you know, it was kind of a men's thing because it was dirty and dangerous and uh, heavy and it was it was it was lousy work uh, in a way, not bad lousy, but just dirty and dangerous. Um, but nowadays, I mean, I don't think it's I think it's very gender neutral as far as trade opportunities. Uh, companies sure. don't care if it's a, if it's a boy or a girl. They don't care if you're tall and short. They they're looking for those those work ethic skills I talked about before. You know, willingness to to uh, to work hard and do what they need to do to be successful and. Uh, I don't think gender plays much of a role in it as all, at all, and there's nothing. I mean, what with uh, with OSHA, you're, you're not allowed to lift anything too heavy anyway without a crane or without assistance. Right. And most companies have. We have a very strong safety program here that uh, gets enforced uh, right down to the uh, you know the safety glasses and the steel-toed shoes and all and the, and the dress. And uh, it's, um, it's it's gotten to the point now where where I think. Uh, you know, you talked about the Rosie the Riveters, and it's an interesting point that I, and I used to tell students. Uh, and a lot of teenagers today don't know who Rosie the Riveter was or the history behind that concept. And it's a shame that they're, they're missing out on that little piece because their grandmother probably uh, was a better welder than they are. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they found they did time and motion studies back then. And they found out that women made better machinists and better um, welders, and a lot of the skills that took, you know, a, a patient hand uh, would be the proper word, uh, were better suited for women uh, because they they had they were were had better maybe a calmer disposition. Uh, I don't know. And uh, of course, after the war, uh, the roles switched back, and men went back into the factories, and women went back into the homes, and and it's kind of been like that ever since. But I, I do see some a lot of change on the horizon, and we are reaching out to women uh, all the time, trying to recruit them. Um, and again, I think it might come back to parents, you know, encouraging uh, their their student. I, I had a couple of girls as students uh, years ago in my vocational program at CIT. And unfortunately, some were in there because their boyfriend was a student there or something. I did have one one young lady who, whose mom told her that she could do anything a man could do and she should go pick what she wanted, and she was into NASCAR. And uh, she came into the shop on a tour as as an eighth grader or ninth grader, and I showed her around and I explained that, you know, all of these parts that you see being made here, you know, would you rather fix cars or would you rather make the parts that go into the cars? And and that caught her attention, and boom, she signed up for the program, and she was great. Uh, matter of fact, she's working for a NASCAR team down in the Carolinas. I I, I couldn't tell you who, but uh, she actually got it. Went to Penn State, got an engineering degree. Um, and took her talent on the road and got a job with a NASCAR team down there working in research and development and uh, all kind of stuff. So uh, it can be done, uh, and certainly uh, I would love to uh, um, have a chance to talk to young people, boys or girls, who are well, interested me, in uh, a career in manufacturing. Let me give, give ourselves a bit of a plug. 
uh, as of November 8th, uh, we are starting a new uh, network called WAM, Women and Manufacturing. And uh, we have seven uh, high-level ladies who have uh, broken through the glass ceiling, who have uh, gotten the kind of degrees they need to be in manufacturing. They're going to be hosting the show. Uh, they're going to be discussing with their guests, mostly women, some men, uh, about the issues of women at, in manufacturing. And uh, we're really excited. And the fact that you mentioned Rosie the Riveter, uh, our inaugural show on November 8th is a woman uh, who was a Rosie the Riveter. She's 90 years old. Her name is uh, Anna Hess. And she... Uh, she lied to get a job uh, at the time. She was supposed to be 16, and she joined, and she was 15. She worked in a military tire plant. Her mom worked in a B-29 plant. And just within the last three, four years, she was invited to the Netherlands by the king and queen of the Netherlands to officially be thanked for the work effort that American women did in the Second World War. And there were wow. three or four million of them that did that. And uh, yes. Tim and I, Tim and I, had this conversation with her for about forty-five minutes, and it was like capturing and listening to a piece of history. It was a great show. I recommend everyone listen to it because women are a solution for many of the issues that we've been talking about. Tim, Gary, I just want to jump in here about Beeler of America. What is it that Beeler manufactures? Well, they uh, they got their start in um, progressive stamping. Uh, they're still uh, one of the one of the most uh, advanced progressive stamping houses uh, around in the state of New Jersey. There's only two or three others. Uh, and uh, so they started out uh, building uh, the Beeler machine. Actually, there's a Beeler of Germany as the parent company. And it started out with Otto Bieler, who uh, was an aeros- uh, was an airplane designer. And uh, back in the 50s, he uh, developed this progressive linear machine to um, to provide a platform for progressive stamping. Now you'd see a big Niagara or a Bruder or a big stamping machine, and they'd put a, a big press tool in it, and they'd feed stock through it and stamp out, you know, whatever, connectors or terminals or something like that. And and that's what we do, uh, but they've also married a lot of other technologies into this. Right now, we are building systems, automated manufacturing and assembly systems that start out with the minor components, the stamped, uh, for instance, if you think of an outlet, a switch on the wall. Um, inside are all little brass terminals and contactors to pass the electricity and to screw your wires on. Uh, there's also some plastic bodies, that, uh, the housing that holds it together. Uh, there's um, uh, another, uh, the switch assembly itself, the toggle switch that you flip up and down to turn the lights on and off, as well as the galvanized steel mounting plate that holds it all together and allows you to screw it to the wall. And, and all of that is assembled here. Uh, in one uh, raw materials in one end of the machine, I mean the strip stock, molded plastic parts, which we also make here, all gets fed into these automatic assembly tools. Uh, the parts, the the components are completely 100% assembled, electrically tested, 
uh, and in a box and out the door, untouched by human hands, about 125 a minute. Wow. 125 complete assemblies per minute, untouched wow. by human hands, all fully manufactured from stock, strip stock, uh, molded plastic pieces, assembled, uh, ultrasonically welded together, electrically inspected for continuity, uh, packaged and out the door. So the first person to touch that switch is the person who buys it at Home Depot and takes it out of the, the box and, and puts it in their house. Uh, so that started out, uh, and this company has made, I mean, I couldn't even tell you, uh, I have a, such a short history here that I don't think I'm really capable of telling you everything that they do. But um, right now we're, we've got several customers. We're building complete manufacturing systems, ground up a turnkey manufacturing systems that uh, we develop. Uh, our designers design everything. We build all the tooling. We we met, bring in the chassis from Germany, and we marry all the tooling. Uh, the, a team of veterans, uh, toolmakers, sets everything up, gets all the tools working, gets the process functioning. Uh, they debug it so, to the point where the uh, production rate is acceptable to the customer and the quality is acceptable to the customer. And then uh, the machine either goes into production here, which we do run some production here for customers. And uh, we also, then when we complete it, we just completed a machine uh, to assemble electrical shunts for big uh, high-voltage electrical panels. Uh, and that machine just got shipped to Puerto Rico because uh, the company is down there, and that they're gonna and we'll send guy people down to set it all up and get it running and train their people, and then um, and then they're they're gonna run their own production. So it happens both ways, but uh, that's in a nutshell. That is basically what we do. And I I I, I would hesitate to um, brag about all the different customers and drop names about. Uh, customers, because I don't know uh, how much levity I have, how much freedom I have to to uh, to drop names and talk about that kind of stuff. But uh, suffice to say that uh, um, they've made products for uh, the medical, the electrical industry, the automotive industry, uh, the um, uh, the construction industry, um, the aerospace industry, all these different. Uh, one one that I can, and you can appreciate this. Uh, we're old enough to remember the three and a half inch floppy drives that uh, we had on our computers in the early days. And you remember that right. stainless steel shutter shutter door that covered the disc. Yep. It was a spring loaded door that you could slide it aside and see the disc inside. Sure. They made they made those shutters here for verbatim by the billions back in the 80s. Absolutely. I mean, they had a whole department dedicated to stamping out those shutter doors for the three and a half inch floppy drives. Of course, uh, technology changed. And the, the, the beauty of the Beeler machine was that they, um, they stripped all the tooling off that made the shutters and they, then they put other tooling on and they started making something else. So they, they switched uh, gears real, real quickly and they uh, are on top of new products and new technology uh, right away. Uh, there was a time, and you can still see it in the old machines, everything was like the, the old four slide, the old bared four slides. Everything is mechanical, cams and drive shafts and uh, and little electronic trip dogs and uh, sensors to uh, operate the machine. Today they're all logic controllers, servo motors, programmable, uh, everything. I mean, uh, there was a time if a cam was bad and you wanted to change it or if a tool broke, uh, you had to have to stop the machine. You would have to take the tool out and either sharpen it or do whatever you had to do, put everything back together and get it reset. 
Uh, now all the tooling is modular, just like a CNC. Uh, so we're building our own line of four slide machines, uh, servo controlled four slides, uh, that take the production rate from a bared, uh, let's say about 125 parts a minute. Uh, the Beeler four slide puts out about 400 parts a minute. Uh, so it's big in the automotive industry and, and, and the medical industry. Just love this new technology. And, uh, and, and the tools change in a minute. If a tool breaks or it gets dull, they pop out the old tool module, they pop the new one in, and they keep running. They don't even have to, uh, just like a CNC, uh, you might want to check your quality after, after a run to make sure that the quality is still there. But as far as resetting and, you know, and all the time, downtime lost to, to – um, to servicing and maintaining the equipment that is gone, um, so um, it—that's uh, basically what we're doing. It sounds exciting, and there's a couple of things I want to touch on, but they're, you know, a step apart from one another. And I'd like you to comment on the first is because of what you've just spoken about, the personal satisfaction gained from a skilled trade. Yes. Well. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot to be said for 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 a little bit of pride, and I think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with modest pride. Uh, uh, I think people uh, today uh, self-esteem is one of the weaknesses that young people have. You know, my my years in public education, I saw a lot of young people come through who who lacked self-esteem. Uh, they they didn't have any confidence in themselves. Either they were being told their whole life that they couldn't do it, or they were useless, or whatever. Uh, and then suddenly they get into something and they find out they're good at it and they realize that, uh, you know, that they, that they do have skills and talents and it just took a while to nurture them. So, yeah, I, I think um, the, um, the uh, satisfaction that's gained from uh, a skilled trade is, is invaluable. I think it's probably more important to many than, you know, you know, high wages and fancy benefit packages. Although those things are important, uh, uh, you know, if if you know if you hate your job and you don't feel good about yourself, and they're paying you a lot of money to do it, I, I don't think you could survive very long because <laughs> right. money cannot buy happiness. And uh, but but I think uh, satisfaction and 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 self-esteem can buy happiness. And then with that with that happiness, then you can then you can buy money. Then you can get money because those jobs pay better and. And uh, and I think you're more willing as an individual to to participate in the activities associated with that. If the company comes in and says, "Hey, we need somebody to run this department. If you want to move up to management, you know, it's more money, but it's more responsibility." And and I think you know, if someone had no self-esteem, they would turn down an offer like that. But if they are confident that uh, in themselves and they feel they can do it, they would say yes to a job like that, and they would be successful at it. And of course, uh, you know, it's all uphill from there. Uh, it's uh, it, it's great. So uh, you know, I, I I tell students, I used to tell my students all the time that um, uh, it, it felt so good in, from my standpoint uh, when I was younger, especially, and uh, the boss would come in and he would say, "Here, I need you to make this for me," and he'd hand me a drawing or a sketch on the back of an envelope or something, and I would make it, and then I would go, and he would just be so amazed and so appreciative that it was done and it works and it fits and it looks good and and it was done in a timely manner, uh, you know, it didn't get me, sometimes it didn't get me a raise, and sometimes it didn't even get me a pat on the back, but I knew he <laughs> was happy, 
And, uh, you know, and if, and if, you know, you know how it is in this world. If you're looking for a pat on the back, the chances are you, so it could be a long wait. Uh, so, you know, I mean, but in, inside, I knew I did a good job. I knew he was happy. He didn't come back complaining. The part worked. The machine was running. He was making money. So everybody was happy. Almost uh, enough said. He didn't need to, to necessarily, and I have received many accolades and, co- and compliments, but I, you don't always get one. And that, that's my point that uh, you're right, that self-esteem is invaluable. I, and I think the skilled traits give that, give that to you. Gary, before we wrap up, I, I don't want to forget on getting your uh, website address and an email address, if you wish, uh, so that our listeners can uh, perhaps uh, contact you and uh, those who don't have the skill sets that you did to put together a program uh, to install a uh a training program for interns. So you've got the floor. Uh, yes, I would. I'd, some of my um, points I wanted to touch on that. The, the Department of Labor sponsored apprenticeship program. Uh, when I first started, it was seemed like an overwhelming task as well. I, I, I thought, oh my goodness. But uh, there are templates out there. The um, Mrs. Scalia, the lady from the Department of Labor, was very helpful. She. Uh, provided me with some templates from other apprenticeship programs that have been successful. Uh, I know the sheet metal workers, the IBEW, the electrical workers. Uh, there's a few programs out in the Midwest that have have programs. And uh, also, you're familiar with NIMS. Are you familiar with the National Institute for Metalworking Skills? Sure, uh, sure. All the, uh, N- yes, NIMS absolutely. has, uh, on their website, they have uh, model templates for, for toolmaking, machining, CNC. You can apprentice any any skill it doesn't matter uh, uh, what you need to do is provide a course outline a a description of what the apprentice is going to learn in our case you know the milling if you looked at our course outline you would see milling and grinding and lathe work and drill press work and all of that kind of stuff uh, safety uh, measuring tools all of the needed skills required so I put it into a five or six page outline that had and it and you have to break it down. For instance, using a lathe, uh, you know, being able to turn and face, being able to grind your own tools, being able to calculate your speed and feeds, being able to uh, measure the parts accurately, uh, you know, using the different functions of the machine to produce different features on your part. All of that stuff uh, is part of the outline. And, and so, um, what I needed was a model. Uh, I needed my course outline for what skills my apprentices were going to learn and uh, and basically and submit it to the Department of Labor uh, for their approval. And they came back with several, um, you know, changes that they wanted to see or something that I was either missing or they wanted to, to make it better. Uh, we also, because we were going to carry more than four apprentices at a time, uh, we had to develop an affirmative action plan that um, reaches out to um, you know, a huge population of potential apprentices. Uh, so at the beginning of our recruitment uh, in May, I send out um, n- uh, a notice of recruitment to every organization, civic organizations, schools, um, women's organizations, any any local, the, the uh, one-stop job centers uh, all get my letter uh, so that everyone who, who might know someone uh, – 
has an opportunity to apply for the job. So that that was probably the most work because I needed to compile a list and uh, of contacts uh, throughout the network uh, in our local area as far as schools and and organizations that would have people that might be interested. So um, I put all that together. Um, I have to say it really uh, wasn't bad. We spent a couple of conference calls with Donna and my my. Uh, manager and myself on the phone working out some problems and um, boom it was a done deal uh, there is some maintenance paperwork along the way um, every year I need uh, I well uh, I do it more than once a year we do uh, quarterly evaluations on our apprentices uh, and I decided so to develop an evaluation form that we could use and we could track their progress not only here on the job but also in their uh, classes at the community college and uh, so we could evaluate them and rate them and give them some feedback as to uh, what they're doing good and what they're where they need to uh, brush up on. Uh, and that's a. And we also have a, an apprenticeship committee here at work, which I recruited uh, six or seven colleagues, uh, some from different departments in the building, some managers, uh, to uh, sit down uh, quarterly and uh, look at our apprenticeship program and make sure that it's going the way we need. Is there any problems, issues, you know, taking minutes on uh, the discussions that we have and things that we want to do for the future. Uh, and, uh, of course, I, am, uh, I have been out with the support of, uh, of Beeler. I have been out uh, every month. Uh, this, this month, uh, October and November, are very busy for me because I visit all the local schools, uh, go in, I'm on their advisory boards. I uh, go to their open houses. I attend their um, um, their career days, and uh, so it, it, there's a lot of uh, legwork involved in getting the word out and 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 talking to people. I, I mean, we're you know we're a relatively small company. Company we're trying to hire two to three apprentices a year over the next ten years to replace the workforce that we have and to. Uh, and and so that's not a whole lot, you know. Uh, if you get a hundred applicants and you're only hiring two or three people, uh, it does give us an opportunity to find those that have the the proper work ethic and have the perhaps the mechanical aptitude or manual dexterity to be successful at this type of work. Um, and of course, we also uh, I know our other human resources department also uses my my list of applicants uh, to find op uh, what we call machine operators and line techs, uh, people who can work on the production equipment and service and maintain it, uh, people to monitor production and, and handle uh, the, the product and things like that. And, that. and those are all pathways up through the company because many of the line techs and operators who had started here years ago are now either the manager of their department or they're you know in some kind of supervisory position uh, managing other people below them so uh, there is room to grow in all of these jobs and um, as far as the Department of Labor system goes I, I send a, um, my uh, I have this, the uh, candidates fill out an application form uh, they send it in. Uh, the state approves it, um, and they're on the list. And you know, honestly, that's about it, really. I mean, I, I have to say, it wasn't easy. I mean, it took me a year to get all the all the my ducks in a row and get everything working properly. But uh, it went fast, and really, I can't think of any uh, frustrating roadblocks that discouraged me from doing this. You know, it was there was nothing that was in the way. Um, I think if companies are seriously considering doing an apprenticeship program, 
the one thing they need more than anything is someone like myself, a dedicated individual. Now, I'm working in the shop also, so I'm a tool maker here, and I manufacture parts just like everybody else. But they give me the time I need to manage the program, get the paperwork done, uh, you know, working with the students and things like that with the candidates. Um, so they need someone on the floor, uh, like you said, a retired person who wants to stick around and, um, and, and mentor these people until they get their feet under them and they get some experience and they can work more independently. Uh, so they need someone on the floor to manage it. And, and they need to get some skin in the game. They're going to have to invest. It, it's not going to be cheap for the company to pay young people to come in uh, to, you know, they make their share of mistakes, so we throw some material away, and, and they take a lot longer than a veteran toolmaker to make something. But the company here is willing to absorb those costs at the, at the, uh, with the chance that we're going to find a diamond in the rough, and we have some young people here who are motivated to stay in this trade, to grow with the company, to uh, to progress to the point where they can work independently and do the build the tools that the the veterans are building now. So, uh, you know, ha- like I said, having someone on the floor to manage it, and and having a company that's willing to to bite the bullet and uh, and get a l- and, and spend a little money to do that. And there's an old saying that goes, um, you know. Uh, uh, when you have the time for training, you generally, you know, you're, you're, you, you don't have the work because it's slow, so you don't have the money to pay for training. And when you're busy and you have the money to pay for training, you usually don't have the time to do training. So, uh, you know, it's, it's critical that uh, the company be able to be flexible in allowing their apprentices, just as Beeler's doing right now, and they just changed that after a little, we're learning from our own mistakes in some cases, uh, that we needed to provide extra time for these young people to to grow and get their work done um, instead of throwing them to the wolves right away, um, you know, and giving them to a department that has to hurry up. We've got a customer coming in next week, and we've got to get this machine going. And so everybody's in a rush and pushing. It's, uh, and although the, the young people need to learn that that's the way the business is, so sometimes it is hectic and sometimes it is busy, and you do have to, you know, maybe come in on a Saturday or stay, stay late and get it done uh, or whatever the case might be, uh, we still realize they're young, uh, they're learning. Uh, you know, this is a dangerous business. We don't want to see anybody get hurt uh, because we were rushing them along. And uh, so all of those factors included um, gives us some, cotton, some some structure on the shop floor so the boys know what they're doing, they know where they're supposed to be, they know what they're supposed to be working on or who they're working for. Uh, the manager on the floor knows they're there and why they're there and what they're supposed to be doing and so keeping an eye on them when I'm not around and uh, uh, making sure the job gets done, you know, doing quarterly evaluations and getting feed, giving feedback to these young people and letting them know how well they're doing and uh, giving them some, some goals for the next evaluation. You know, uh, organization and cleanup is, is one that, that comes to mind. We have a couple of young fellows who, who get a lot of tools out and sometimes forget where they belong, and I have to go around and, you know, scout them up and make sure, you know, make sure you put this up, clean up here, put this away, uh, you know, don't leave a mess. And, uh, you know, because if you do, sometimes the, the senior members will get upset because uh, the, the kids are, uh, are not um, completely following the instructions they were given. So it, it's not easy. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of things to do. But um, certainly I'm the only one managing it, so it's a one-person job that can handle it. 
uh, at um, Weissog in um, Hanover. Um, Paul Rettberg is another uh, class act who has put together an absolutely fantastic apprenticeship program, and uh, they're another progressive stamper. I know uh, Microtool here in Somerville, I believe they're Somerville, uh, they have a program uh, that is pretty strong. Uh, but other than that, I, I honestly could not think. I, I know all the local shops around here, all the local machine shops and their owners, and very few of them bother with training. Uh, they'll bring a guy in, and they'll show him what to do. They'll give him some instructions. Here, do this, do that. Make an operator out of him or something like that. And and then over time, uh, they'll grow with the company. I have a young fellow who's a graduate from my program at CIT who got a job in a local machine shop running CNC machines. And uh, and he was a crackerjack student. He knew Mastercam. He knew he could program. He could set up. He was a good a good candidate. But the company had a policy of – um, you know, putting the person on the machine and let them run it. And six years later, uh, the, the the fella is discouraged. He's like, "Hands, I've been here six years. I, I'm still loading parts. Uh, they won't let me do any programming because the company structure, you know, just they had someone, they had a programmer per se, a dedicated individual to do that, and they weren't allowing the guys on the floor to do any of that. And that's just the nature of the way the company ran. Uh, but, you know, on the positive side, now the company, uh, some people have retired and moved on, and now there's some openings at the top, and, and they gave the boy a chance, and now I believe he's happy. He's programming, and, and he's uh, setting up, and he's doing more uh, challenging work, and he's much happier than he was uh, the last time I talked to him. So, uh, you know, it's, it is a matter of having a, a company that is flexible enough um, in their busy schedule, in their busy production schedule, to provide a learning environment for these young people so that uh, they, they don't get stagnant. You know, the company down the road offers them another buck an hour, they're going to go uh, because they, you know, they're doing the same darn thing and it doesn't, they might as well get more money if I can't get more uh, on the job responsibilities. So uh, Gary, companies, Gary, yes, I'm, Gary, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your flow because uh, great information, but we're at the top of the hour and we do have to uh, uh, leave it at, uh, at this point. Uh, okay. Really appreciate, really appreciated your, uh, your input. Uh, and like I said, in the beginning of the show, you are a poster boy for uh, everything that's been going on in manufacturing and, we wish you and your company uh, the great results and congratulations. Uh, Tim? Gary, that uh, was terrific information. We really appreciate you being with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we'll probably follow up with you in the future just to see how Beeler is doing because I think in terms of laying out uh, you know, apprenticeship and training, you've done a terrific job. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to speak, and I, I hope uh, you know we've we've made some headway in, in in getting the word out to the people that need to hear it. Well, give us your, give us your URL, and uh, we will say sayonara. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's on the if you look at the guest registration form, I put it on there. It's Bueller dot com. Ah, okay. So you Easy have enough. you have the uh, the contact. So. Uh, it's a it's more of a you know industrial web a website geared towards potential customers so it's a, you know but there yeah. is some new video and some new stuff on there to watch so excellent excellent thank okay. you very much for being on the show and we'll be talking to you at some point in the future okay thank you very much you have a good day you too thanks Bye.
And we've been speaking with Gary Slavik, who is with Beeler of America. Their website is B-I-H-L-E-R.com. Feel free to check in with them and see what they're doing. And stay tuned for more from Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.